Welcome to Talking Tolkien. Now, we have changed the name since last time because we felt like Talking Tolkien was a better was a better name for the show rather than going with Tolkien Talk. So from now on, it's going to be Talking Tolkien. This week, we talk about the awakening of the elves and the effect it, the effect it has on the Valar. And also, I believe in this episode, we talk about the fall, the proper fall of Melkor. So, that is this week. That is part two, no, part three of talking about the Silmarillion and its chapters three and four. Enjoy. Sinatra, so look how that popped up on the... <laughs> Guys and Dolls is, is the one in your face. I think yeah. Guys and Dolls, that and like Sound of Music are the only two classical. Is there a really Time Machine musical? We do know there's a Lord of the Rings musical, <laughs> uh, which is absolutely terrifying. <laughs> it has to be bad. Like that just looked <laughs> yeah, terrible. There was nothing God. in those songs. Um, well, and like well, Galadriel just looked freaking weird. If you if you consider Sunday in the Park with George, it's kind of a Time Machine musical because the first act is about George Seurat, so it takes place in the 1880s. The second act is about his great-grandson, so it takes place in the 1980s. What's an alliteration we could do with Wells, so we could do a just H.G. Wells, so it's like weeping with Wells? No, that's bad. Uh, uh, it certainly has to be like a singing-related Wailing with Wells. <laughs> for some reason, my brain went to like thinking of like one for Crichton, and it was like Car Talk with Crichton, but that one is, that seems... <laughs> That seems weird. <laughs> anyway. The King's Canters. It can be about King's Stephen King. That'd be good, yeah. Mm-hmm. Read the entire Dark Tower series. Or it could just that be, would be p- appropriate for that, or too. Or it could just be a, bio- uh, a biographical musical about Stephen King in the style of Gypsy. Weirdly appropriate? Okay. No! Bodies! Gotta harsh on my novels! Let's get going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We read what felt like the longest chapter and the shortest chapter of anything I've read. Yeah, it was an interesting juxtaposition. <laughs> but, I mean, to be fair, I feel like chapter three does need to be kind of long. I mean, we're talking about the elves, so... Yeah. Uh... Spoiler alert. <laughs> so, Katie and I already kind of know the history of the elves. Chase, I want to hear your opinion. Okay, so, like... There was this. There was one of the uh, Valar who, like, knew that the uh, the elves were gonna like awaken or whatever uh, mm-hmm. under the stars, and they were gonna like see the stars first. I think it was see the stars first or wake up under the stars. Yeah. And so because- she went into the constellations and the stars and made stronger ones, which okay. they yeah. were like written out, but I don't remember what they were exactly okay. written out. So as. Middle Earth was in darkness because Melkor. Okay, Morgoth Spread. destroyed the lamps. Yeah, yeah. And so Yavanna created the two trees, Telperion and Laurelin, but their light did not exceed past um, Amon. So Middle Earth was in kind of this perpetual twilight. So that's what they were concerned about. And they were concerned that the, that the elves were going to come while the earth was still dark and and not. Like, as beautiful as it should be. Because the Valar don't know when they were going to show up. It was Iluvatar. Mm-hmm. He, he knew when they were going to show up, but not everyone else. So they were kind of, like, flittering around for billions of years going, Oh, my God, when is this going to happen? Oh, no. Yeah. So, Melkor, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> so it's interesting that Yavanna, instead of uh, 
creating new trees, you know, the two trees of, of uh, Middle-earth. Instead of doing that, she just took some of the light and created new stars. And I think there's this kind of interesting uh, perspective in there of, you know, who doesn't like to stargaze, you know? Yeah. When I when I lived in Turkey, I was walking to the how the independent bathroom because it's the only one building on plumbing. You know, it was the first night I was there with my toothbrush in hand, and it was the first place I've ever lived in that was that rural. And I caught a brief glimpse glimpse of the stars, and I was just like, "Oh my god!" And I stood there for a good three minutes in my bathrobe with my toothbrush in my hand, staring at the stars. Mm-hmm. And so, I think it's kind of nice that. That there's this thought of, well, we could bring them light or we could, like, let them experience wonder first. Yeah, that's interesting. Because everybody knows that feeling, too. Uh, a lot of us, you know, grow up in uh, areas with a lot of light light pollution. So even on really clear nights, the stars that you see in the sky are not nearly what you can see, you know, mm-hmm. in... in- you know, in like a, a more rural area, so that's what I think of the difference between like how the stars were and then what Varda did taking the light from Telperion mm-hmm. um, is like the difference between what we see in a light polluted area to like. That's right. I said Yvonne did the stars. It was Varda. It was Varda. It was yeah. Varda. Yeah. Um, but what I also like about that is there's this kind of implicit statement that you know when the moon will exist, mm-hmm. that it, its light will overshadow the stars which is very true because another thing i learned while being in turkey was a full moon you can walk by that you can read by that i didn't i never realized you know i didn't realize that until about camping once in some yeah, situation it, it is incredible but on the other side you can't very you can't see very many stars right. but on a new moon it's an entirely different world so the stars were created. Well, yeah. they weren't created. They were already there. They just new stars. New stars yeah, were created. New stars. They were brighter than ever. And and now, okay, this is the part that got really fuzzy to me. Uh, there were these things. It's over the Q. I cannot for the life of me pronounce it. I wrote it down here somewhere. The, uh, the Quindy. The Quindy. Yeah. Right, what so, was the Quindy? Because I don't fully quite... I feel like I, I must have read well, it too fast it's, or it's, something. It's, it's what we call a married couple that is Carl and Wendy. <laughs> no. We are not making Brangelina names. Okay. <laughs> um, so, well, what we've talked about before, you know, the, the, the children of Iluvatar, we know they're coming and they're going to, to wake up. Um, and that was that's also another thing that I kind of liked was that what, what Yavanna had done was put everything that was currently living to sleep mm-hmm. um, so that it wouldn't age so that then they, it, it could all wake up when the children of Iluvatar come as well. Oh, that's so weird. That, yeah, yeah, that's I mean, so weird. It's neat, though. Well, and, like, to the same end, like, plants without light right. are going to wither. Exactly. And they, and you know, like, things were not, while, while Middle-earth was in this kind of twilight age or era, um... The things that had already started to grow were not growing anymore because, again, they don't have light to grow, so they're not aging. Wait, but so things, just like like was like Melkor just coming through and killing things that were asleep? I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna make a bad German pun now <laughs> okay. because that is my prerogative. <laughs> so fans of Wagner will know that the fourth opera in the Ring Cycle. Which is relevant to this because it's about a magical dwarf who finds a ring that can control the destiny of the universe. Um, it predates Lord of the Rings by no relation. 50 years. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, granted, it's cold from mythology. Uh, the last opera is called uh, Goethe's Dämmerung. Sorry for my German pronunciation, which means Twilight of the Gods. So I'm going to call this period Valar Dämmerung. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Which, yeah, we, that, that sounds good. Sounds good. We can go by that. Um, but so finally the, the children of Iluvatar are going to awaken. Yeah. So this, the first part of the chapter is about preparing for that. Right. So the Valar have a, a council meeting and they're like, yo dudes, <laughs> what is Melkor going to do to them when they wake up? And Tolkas being the warmonger that he is, is like, let's, let's fight him. <laughs> let's go to war. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with We're that fight him. awesome laugh. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I imagine him like, having like, a childlike laugh, honestly. Like, <laughs> like something giggly. Uh, you said childlike, not pedophile. Like. Okay, that was, that was because I was trying to do a childlike laugh. Yeah, that's childlike laugh through the voice of Chase. Um, so yeah, to- Tokas immediately wants to go to war, but Manwe says, no, we should, we should give them light. So then, like we said, Varda takes the light, uh, some of the dews from Telperion, and creates these brighter stars. So now, finally... Uh, the elves awaken, and they awaken next to a great lake. And everybody, like, kind of starts to find him, and is just like, whoa, <laughs> this is happening now. So, one, it is of note that you can you can take the light of Telperion. That will come up later, so mm-hmm. just remember that. Right. Uh, two, there's this passage here. Um, it is told that even as Varda ended her labors, and they were long, when first Menelmakar strode up the sky in the blue fire of Heluian, I guess? Mm-hmm. Uh, flickered in the mists above the borders of the world. In that hour, the children of Earth awoke, and the firstborn, or sorry, the firstborn of Lubitar. So I must get this implication there that the that Varda and the rest of the Valar kind of woke the children up themselves. Right. The, so the light from the stars, like yeah, like that kicked it off. Like that did it. I, I just think that's interesting because for what we've read previously, they. They know the children are there. They just don't know when they're coming. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, okay, I think they're going to come soon. Let's prepare for it. And that act of preparation is what wakes them up. Oh, it's like... It's like... <laughs> are going to talk like, about the movie Noah? No, no. It's like parents <laughs> getting ready for Christmas and accidentally wake their kids up. It's like, oh, Santa was here. We heard it too, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that happened to me when I was four. That's why I found out Santa didn't exist. <laughs> but anyway, the... the the elves have been waking up. They've been found. And this was one of the things that kind of... This was something I actually knew before I started reading this book. Uh, Melkor was one of the first to actually come across them, right? Well, Melkor knew that they were waking uh, that they were waking up because Melkor is, you know, s- sneaky and just knows things. That and he's also on Middle-earth when the rest of the Valar are in right. Valinor. So he, like, found them, grabbed a bunch of them, and was like torturing them or something under the ground? Was okay. That, basically that, that what comes in a little later. That's not a little bit later, okay. Mm-hmm. And I have a note about that. So, mm-hmm. uh. um, But but uh, what what had been happening, though, also in the meantime was that uh, Melkor has been building another fortress nearby um, that's, you know, he, he's building it to be able to fight against Amon and the rest of the Valar. Um, and that fortress is Angband, and it's commanded by... Sauron. Oh yeah, Sauron. Yeah, right. another name I noticed. Yeah, <laughs> again, important. He's 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 a baddie. <laughs> so Just to yes, make so, the understatement. So now that the elves have awoken and Melkor is building this fortress, it's kind of like you know how 
at the beginning of World War One, like war was imminent, and it just took the assassination of Ferdinand, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, to, to actually create the war. Like that's kind of what's going on here. Both sides are expecting war, and because of that, they're kind of causing it. To tensions is building. So then the Valar do decide to attack Melkor, and so they 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 chart them off. They put they build a prison in Valinor, and what I found was really interesting is they blindfold Mel- Melkor. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm, this is weird to me because <laughs> you know it's stated a few times that the Valar choose in co- you know corporeal form like mm-hmm. they choose clothes. So how can you blindfold an incorporeal being? Well, and also it weird me out that like. Th- yeah, exactly, like like they were like tying him up somewhere. I was just like ra- trying to wrap my brain around that, and what did that mean? And, he, well, and like another thing about this is, I've seen maps of Middle Earth and stuff, and I know that that's not like a, this is the first time actually a bit of geography from the Lord of the Rings comes up in this that I actually knew, which is the Misty Mountains. Mm-hmm. I know that mm-hmm. everything else I didn't. I've never quite been able to pick, pick like pin down geography wise because I feel like there was a lot of mention of geography in this. Well. And then they were like saying like they took him and put him like it felt like outside of time and space for like three ages or something like that. Well, so geography becomes increasingly important from this point on in the the Silmarillion. And it's going to help if you acquire a map, not just of Middle Earth, but also of the West. Uh, oh, so there's more maps. I, I thought like the West was not mapped out. Well, because when we say that this is a history book. Yeah. I mean, Tolkien wrote it like a history book. Because, you know, you read a history book about the Napoleonic Wars and you need to know where Waterloo is. You need to know where these things are located because that affects, you know, who they're fighting, the supply chain, everything. Mm-hmm. And it starts really getting into kind of those details. Oh, my. <laughs> I bet I could find a map anywhere, though, of this it, stuff. It, I mean, it's a daunting read for a reason. I mean, because they, they were throwing out words that were... Like, I felt like I could... Feel, oh, my God. There's a big map being pulled out right <laughs> he now. He is unfolding the map. Oh, my God. Her illustrated Silmarillion. <laughs> so, okay. That came up. Hit the loom? Okay. so That this, came up. This is where Melkor's fortress... This is important, too, right here that we'll talk about later. But. West mm-hmm. Beleriand. 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 And they talk about the the Bay of Belar, which is right here. Yep. Oh, Doriath came up in, like, the last, the last chapter we read, so... I think it did. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it did. So yeah, that's interesting. Okay, so that's a big map. And this is just this, this is, is just, just one bu- map. This is just Beleriand and the lands of the north. Mm-hmm. Oh my so god! So a lot of this, yeah, <laughs> Melkor is you know doing his dealings in this kind of area. I also find it interesting that Tolkien chose to place evil in the north, just because you know at this time we were still very kind of Eurocentric, mm-hmm. and north was good, right? North was always considered, but, yeah. Especially being yeah. a British officer, I would just expect him to mm-hmm. kind of carry that over. So war finally broke out. Like, they finally were going to war with, with Melkor, and it was going toward, it was going their way. And th- this actually is to my favorite, so far favorite line of, from this, from this, from this book in general. And it was, it's kind of referring to like, uh, this great battle. Mm-hmm. And I just love this part. It just goes, thereafter, the Quindy knew nothing of the great battle of the powers, save that the earth shook and groaned beneath them, and the waters were moved, and in the north there were lights as if mighty fires. 
Like, yep. That just seemed okay. apocalyptic Isn't that, to yeah, me. Yeah, that's terrifying and apocalyptic. So, uh, describe the Quindy. Who are they? I, I don't remember that exactly. <laughs> this I is just... why we have Katie with her encyclopedic <laughs> notes. So, so the, the, the elves awaken, right? And they awake by water. They awake by a great lake. They're, uh, they're really hungover and they got a jug splash <laughs> in their face. No. Uh, Quindy <laughs> in the lake is uh, the water of awakening, which I really like. Uh, and uh, again, we said the first thing that they saw was, was the stars, so they love the starlight. Um, and the first sound that they heard also, which is so- something that I really like, the first sound that they heard was water mm-hmm. and water falling on rocks. Um, and they had named themselves the Quendi. That's where that comes from. They named themselves yeah. the Quendi. And actually, actually, we don't put in here. Uh, so Quinn, you see that a lot. You see Quindy, you see Quenya Silmarillion, mm-hmm. you see the, oh, the yeah, language yeah, yeah. that Quenya. is Quenya. Mm-hmm. And so here in the back of my Silmarillion, the appendix, Quinn is defined as say or speak in Quindy, in Quenya, and yeah. So anyway. They're the only things that they've come across yet that speak or sing. So they're the speakers. So they're the speakers, right. Okay. So are they the elves? Is that basically what that means? That they are the elves, or am I way off on that? Yeah, yeah. So they that's, are the elves. The, okay. Yeah, that's the name they give. It's themselves. more like it's these like are like. <laughs> it sounds like it's like saying that these are sentient elves of sorts, they like are. and like almost like there's like a proto like weird like primordial situation going on and then they suddenly gain speech well uh, rem- remember the elves time is weird the elves wake up and, and they start to roam around and see things and learn things and create speech yeah and the elves were created as these kind of perfect intelligent beings they're like you know in the image of the, of Iluvatar and the mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm. whereas men were conceived of as having a life cycle so at least the way I read this like when the elves awake they're like they're adults. That's their state. That's yeah. what I, I mean. That was my mental image too. Mm-hmm. Like that's what I thought of. I just thought of them like almost emerging from this lake, like luminous beings. Right. N- and then, and then also we had our first description of the orcs. Yeah. Which was right. Now that I have this knowledge, makes a lot more sense. So, the question that Chase asked me that prompted this entire <laughs> oh yeah this, this entire thing he was playing Shadow of Mordor. And he was a female-skinned character. Now, if you, if you play the game, all the dialogue is recorded as if there was a male-skinned character. Mm-hmm. So Chase asked me, do the orcs have this concept of gender? And I think this, this paragraph answers that. So um, it's basically talking about what Melkor did. And here we go. But of those unhappy ones who were enslaved by Melkor, little is known of a certainty. For who of the living has descended into the pits of Atumno, or has explored the darkness of the councils of Melkor? Yet this is held true by the wise of Erasea, that all those of the Quindi who came into the hands of Melkor, Eratumno, was broken, were put there in prison, and by slow arts of cruelty were corrupted and enslaved. And thus did Melkor breed the hideous race of the orcs, in envy and mockery of the elves, of whom they were afterwards the bitterest foes. And then here, here we go. For the orcs had life and multiplied after the manner of the children of Luvatar, and not that had life of its own, nor the semblance of life could El- ever Melkor make since his rebellion in the Ainulandale before the beginning. So say the wise. And deep in their dark hearts, the orcs loathed the master who they served in fear, the maker only of their misery. 
This, it may be, was the vilest deed of Melkor and the most hateful to Luvatar. So I think that's a really important chapter because one, it tells us what the orcs are. The orcs are tortured elves. Two, it says the orcs can reproduce. So there have to be female orcs. Oh. We never really see them, but they have to exist. That's true. Okay. Hmm. Uh, and then beyond that, I love this bit. Melkor does not have the capability to create. You know, even um, Orome does that with the, the dwarves, but Melkor has become so corrupt. How late? Oh, sorry, Alley. Yes. Alley. We talk about Orome's in, in this chapter because Orome was the first of the Valar to discover the elves. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yes, so so Melkor can't create. The only he thing just, he can do is corrupt. Yeah, he can just take right. it and mess it up. Exactly. And again, it's because what he, he he's corrupting Iluvatar's vision, and he had tried from the very beginning to have his own kind of creation. Yeah. And it's instead what he does is take. And corrupt and ruin. Make nasty. And make nasty. nasty. Well, and I, I hate to read too much of this as a Christian allegory, but this is a direct parable to Lucifer. It really is. Yeah. He was the greatest. He fell. Yep. All he can do is corrupt. Mm-hmm. And he spawns demons. Indeed. Which demons were fallen angels. So you can even say there. And the deep angels were a creation of God and, and served by and, the and man. And what is Sauron but mm-hmm. a fallen Maiar? And that was, this was also uh, interesting. <laughs> so again, Orome was the first of the Valar who saw the elves and he was, you know, out on a hunt and then his horse kind of took a pause and he was like, oh, hey, and they, he saw the elves uh, and he was really excited. I'm sorry. My, 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 my image just went to like something else entirely. I'm not going to say it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's like, it comes across and they're, they're not quite cognizant yet so it's just like oh and this is a mass of elves that are not cognizant yet <laughs> um but so the, but the elves were afraid at first right because all they knew of the valar was the destruction was the destruction right and also you know melkor had been sending these kind of like scary beasty things uh and they at first thought that Orme was one of those. Now I just have the Jethro Tull song Beastie, Beastie. stuck in my head <laughs> because yeah. you gave me that album. Mm-hmm. It's also a very, very good album. Yeah, but they all, Rod, Sword, and the Beast is fantastic. Yes, and the um, but they wanted the Valar wanted to sway this fear and tension between right. them, and they were like, "You're supposed to imagine they're all like they're supposed to be like special, so we should be like working with them, right?" Well, and and this is kind of analogous to what happened with Aule and the dwarves. Yeah, they yeah. they feared him, mm-hmm. right? Because a big old hammer. I mean. So, Granted, he was directly going to kill them versus the all the Valar were fighting on their behalf, but they didn't know right. that. So, you know, Orme goes back and uh, the Valar have a council and Manwade uh, has council with the Luvatar and they're trying to decide what to do. Um, and finally they decide to summon the elves to Valinor. With three ambassadors. Right. So I cannot... So they, leave yeah. These names. Ambassadors <laughs> of the Valar. No. Is it is it Ingway and Finway? Yes. And Elway. And Elway, right. Were and they all like they saw the cousins? Way. I don't know. <laughs> well, okay. Let's go to the appendix and look up what way means. <laughs> is it like a last name situation going on here? No, it can't be. And this kinda like brought us our three guiding Kind um, of yeah, our oh. three kings. Exactly. Yes. Interestingly, Way is not on my appendix. 
It goes straight to Wen, which means maiden, as you see in Irwin. Arwen. So we'll... Oh, yeah, okay. But anyway, but so, the, they had... They brought up... These ambassadors brought up followers. Right. Like, the, 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 the elves that were brave enough to go with them, and well, this split formed, like, three... Would you say tribes? Kind of, yeah. yeah. So, so these these three, you know, elvish kings, kind of, had gone to, to, to Valinor, and they saw the light uh, from the trees, and they were in awe. They saw the light. <laughs> and so they decided, yep, we're going... <laughs> this part is really important. Yeah. Because this shapes the future of everything that happens. This is like this is like the beginning of not only uh the the future tribes of Middle Earth, but also like this is like the political like is this highly political in the future? This is this is like when Constantine moved the capital of the Roman Empire to Constantinople and the the empire was then divided into two. And two very different paths happen before. Okay. That. Same culture, same people, different directions. Because for me, I've, I've always viewed it as they, they just kind of always has been the elves. And the only thing I've seen split up has been men because they're over different geography primarily. Whereas this seems like... Yeah, there are this, several different groups of elves yeah. that you'll see. And this is this is where it of, this is this yeah the, where where that split happens. This is the Great Schism. <laughs> this is this is the Council of Milan where the Pope denounces Eastern Orthodoxy. Sorry, my <laughs> yeah, you, <laughs> my history background is really showing. So here. you have so you have most of the elves, a, a very large part of the elves are like yeah okay we're going, um, and they're called the Eldar, and uh, that's um, that was the. Uh, the, the people of the stars is what they were called, the Eldar. Um, and then you have some who are deciding to stay um, because they really liked the starlight and the the look of Middle-earth, and they wanted to stay there. And they were called the Avari, the unwilling. And this was the great split, the first one. between. Uh, so that's even bigger elves. split. That's the bigger This is like some of them, some of them are split. going home to the west, to, okay. to Valinor, and others are staying. So here is... Uh even more Tolkien insane depth lore. Eldar. According to the Elvish legend, the name Eldar, people of the stars, was given to the elves by the Vala Orome. It came, however, to be used to refer only to the elves of the three kindreds, the Vanyar, the Noldor, and the Teleri, who set out on the great western march from uh, Kuivienen, whether or not they remained in Middle-earth, and to exclude the Avari. So, yes. And also, this this uh, there was also like uh, this is where a lot of the geography came up. Yes, that I was kind of confused right. by. Yeah, because they were mentioning this like great trek that I almost like mentioned like because it was like they're also afraid because there was no like road for them to follow. They were just basically like, right. Imagine like I'm just this image of like thousands of elves just wandering the countryside, just, knowing where to go, kind of. You're just trekking a very long journey. From their homes in the east, they're going towards the the west, toward towards Valinor, and yeah. So, the geographic segregation of the elves, because they end up settling in different lands, uh, becomes really important. And if you remember back to Lord of the Rings, the movies, you know when you see um, Elrond, yes, the Council yeah. of Elrond Rivendell, that is portrayed very differently from the elves of Lothlorien. 
Wait, but, but and both of those are very different from the elves of Mirkwood that we don't really see. But. Yes, you already lost me. <laughs> I don't know where you're going with uh, that. Basically, where I'm going is that elvish culture does vary, and it varies because of where they settle and where All they right, came so from. So it is a geography session, like geography thing as well. Be- well, because the the elves are so in touch with um, kind of Yavanna, mm-hmm. and but also, I mean, the, the creation of Earth. Uh, they, they're very in touch with why this place is what it is. And everything develops from that. Okay. So we had, uh, again, so the Eldar are, are going going west, um, and they kind of split into three groups. The first, uh, the first group um, was led by Ingwe, uh, and... Vanyar? Yes. Vanyar? They're called, yeah, they're called the Vanyar, the Fair Elves. <laughs> I butchered that one. Next come the Noldor, and these are the people of Finway. And they're called the Deep Elves. And they're they're supposed to be very wise. And the final group was the biggest group, the Teleri, and they're the ones who love the water, and they're so they're the sea elves. Um, and they have two lords, Elway and Olway and their brothers. Um, and they kind of settle by by the sea. So these are these three groups are collectively called the El- <coughs> Sorry. The Eldalie, the Elves of the oh, Light. Man. Oh, man. <laughs> so, you know, I'm trying not to spoil anything, but I do want to bring up things that you should just keep in mind. Yeah. Fenway. Yes. Will, King Fenway. Yes, keep Fenway in mind. And also keep the Teleri in mind. Okay. But for the most part, that's Chapter 3. Well. Right? right? Well, well. But what are the Elves that stayed behind? Right. And what are the ones that got lost? Because some of them got lost on the Oh, that's true, too. Because they didn't have iPhones. They became hobbits. Yeah, they didn't have Siri to guide them. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Where was I in my notes? Um, So, yeah, but uh, again, you know, what, like John was saying, where the elves end up kind of staying and uh, where they end up breaking off, too, has a lot to do with their culture but the like the water people are gonna gravitate towards water and the i mean i'm generalizing horribly mm-hmm. but you know what i mean like uh i mean i guess one of them would like the woods more than other ones i just mm-hmm. know there was like something about wood elves yep in this whole thing exactly so We've, so after we've got this uh, really in-depth description of the uh, kind of the origin stories of, of the elves and I feel like that chapter was like split. two chapters. It was, yeah, it was. It was I feel like that battle was like one chapter, and then like the elves <laughs> come out with like another chapter. <laughs> but it was important because that battle had, you know, it had re- repercussions. Oh, the big thing we forgot elves. about that battle is Sauron was not found. Right. He fled and remained in Middle Earth, and he was yeah. not well, because, yeah, strong the, anymore. The Valar were cl- wanting to, were trying to cleanse things with, you know, with with water, um, and but a lot of these, you see, these fortresses that Melkor has built um, are have very very deep places that were not found when mm-hmm. they were going through and cleansing everything. So now, yeah. Now, uh, are the ruins of this stuff going to factor in in any way in the future? Are these like ruins on Earth, oh, yeah. on Middle Earth, so they are <laughs> so they are places that exist that 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 people are interacting with in the future stories. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. 
And, you know, like you said, Sauron was not found. So, who are the, who are the elves that stayed behind? Morquindy? Is it Morquindy? <laughs> okay. They're called the Avari. Um... And then there's, you know, there, there are several names. Uh, some some of the ones that were that were uh, left behind were also kind of lumped together with the Avari um, and called the Moriquindi. That's what I was thinking of. <laughs> right, the Elves of Darkness. Um, and that's because they were the ones that never saw the light that was before the sun and moon that, and oh, the trees, the lights oh. of the trees. And oh, then, okay. And then we get a really important category of elves the Sendar. And reading back here, the Sendar, the Grey Elves. The name was applied to all the elves of Teleran origin, whom the returning Noldor found in Beleriand, save for the Green Elves of, Os- of Osiriand. The Noldor may have devised this name because the first elves of this origin whom they met were in the north, under the grey skies and mists about Lake Mithrim. Or perhaps because the Grey Elves were not of the light of Valinor, nor yet of the dark of Ari but were elves of the twilight. But it was held to refer to Elway's nickname Thingol, since he was acknowledged the high king of all the land and its peoples. The Sindar called themselves uh, Edhil. So Sindar means gray elves, and Tolkien goes through such detail that he creates a couple of possible reasons for why they're called this. Oh my. (laughs) Um, And then Lake Mithrim, just keep the suffix, or the prefix meath in mind. Do you, do you, me thrill. That's yeah. about it. Yeah, me thrill. So, Which, funny enough, I, I I was trying to remember that earlier because of that. So, <laughs> flipping back to my appendix, uh, I know I'm being pedantic here, but I this his work really kind of rewards pedantry. Uh, flipping back to the appendix, you see myth, gray, myth means. Yeah, gray. there you go. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> so, so there's our elves. Yes. Yes. And then we we have we come over to uh, our story of Thingol and Melian, which was a little which was fast. It was a short. It was a short part, but it was also very like it felt like more like a folklore. It's literally a page and a half long. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Melian was one of the Maya, who remember from before. Are kind of servants again, of the servants, yeah, under the valor, servants mm-hmm. of the valor, but demigods, still, yeah, demigods, still great and powerful and really awe inspiring. Um, come on. So it says she dwelt in the gardens of Lorien. So Chase, does that name ring a bell to you? It did. Okay, it did when I read it, but I didn't know why. It just was like it just was poking at my brain, going, "Hey, you know <laughs> this? I don't know why you know this, but you know this." So with. If you remember back to the movies, mm-hmm. Galadriel. Yes. Where did she live? Lost So that's okay. So this is in the same. <laughs> is this in the same area? No, because Lorien is in the same area. Lorien is in the west. Because so that's why it has a different name. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Now, and then she she was singing, and the birds were singing, mm-hmm. and she was hanging out in the forest and singing. Mm-hmm. And then uh, there, this was a forest that separated. I wrote it down. The Noldi, Noldor, and the Teleri, <laughs> and there was a. The, how I've got this written down is like there was a there was a guy who visited another guy, yeah, or another person so, on the other side of the forest and passed yeah. through the forest. So the elves are kind of like getting close to the end of their journey into the west, 
and they're kind of in East Valerand, and Elway is going to find Finway. Um, but comes across this forest, and it's like starlit and beautiful, and he heard the song of the nightingales and becomes enchanted by it and drawn in. Which I'm just trying to think of songs <laughs> to put in my head for some reason. I just feel like I'm going to like, cut to a song right here, and it's going to be like, we were talking about Frank Sinatra, so, yeah. so I don't know. <laughs> it's going to be at Fly Me to the Moon. <laughs> no, it was not. No. Um, <laughs> it was something we can't even imagine, and we, our brains would explode. So Millian's voice kind of makes him forget everything, and then he's... Sees, yeah, right. But he sees, he sees her face and sees the light of Amon in her face, which is uh, something that and we I see saw often. Her face. That's also not the song he was hearing. <laughs> the, the, the Valar didn't listen to the monkeys. I don't think so. <laughs> so they join hands and they stand like that for a really long time. Um, Elway's people cannot find him. And they decide to just keep going. <laughs> and Elway never gets to Valinor because he stays with Melian. And he's given a new name, right? Mm-hmm. So I jumped ahead a little bit by defining Sendar because this is actually where they come in. Yep. But it says, Thus Elway's folks who sought him found him not. And Olwe t- took the kingship of the Teleri and departed, as is told hereafter. So those are the ones who are like, oh, he's lost. Bye. Um, Elwe Singolo never came again across the sea to Valinor so long as he lived. And Melion returned not thither while their realm together lasted. But of her there came among both elves and men a strain of the Ainur who were with Iluvatar before Ea. In the days, bo- uh, in after days, he, meaning Elwe, became a king renowned and his people were all the Eldar of Beleriand, the renowned. Oh wait, sorry. The the Sindar they were named the Grey Elves. So then we get into that. Uh, and Melian was this qu- queen wiser than any child of Middle Earth, and their hidden halls were in Minagroth, the Thousand Caves, and Doriath. And they had great power. Mm-hmm. Oh, and this is important. Sorry. So this uh, is great power. Melian lent to Thingol. Uh, who was himself great among the Eldar, for he alone of all the Sindar had seen with his own eyes the trees and the day of their flowering. Now, it's okay. Did his people, like, settle, and then, like, he left, and then he heard this woman singing and, like, hung out with her for forever, and then came back and was, like, this weird second coming of sorts? Is that what's happening here? He stayed with her. So he's forever stayed with her. Because they sent the three to bring the... Elves to Valinor. Yeah, yeah. He stayed, and the elves that were following him, some departed and some became the Sundar. Okay. So he never came back. No, it says that. No. So he never... Okay. He, no, he, he, he never goes to Valinor. I'm a little confused. Okay, I'm a little confused just because, like... Yeah, it says, Elway Singolo never came again across the sea to Valinor so long as he lived. Okay, so what was he king of then? Well, okay, remember he 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 was the well. Okay, because I thought he came back and it was king of something. He he's he stays with Melian in this forest. Yes, so they're king of their like own world. Right. All right, then that makes <laughs> that makes some sense. Then I guess. I guess I'm all right. Elway is is Jack, 
and Melian is Rose, and they're at the... <laughs> oh, God, man. <laughs> Except for he doesn't drown. <laughs> the front of the Titanic. Of course he doesn't drown. He lives by a lake. He knows how to swim. So just king, of their we- king and queen of their weird little domain that they have made through singing and stuff. <laughs> I think I just got the title of this episode, Singing and Stuff. <laughs> singing and Stuff. <laughs> I just... So... I like that this reinforces once again that the Valar are not omniscient because he he just like doesn't do his duty and the elves that were with him just became a new race and then they were discovered later on. They're like, oh, that's what happened to you guys. Yep. We thought you were lost. <laughs> Which they were. And there, yeah, we, we that's kind of mentioned in the text too that, you know, some of the elves were lost and like forgotten and not heard of for ages and ages and ages and ages and nobody knew where they were and what had happened to them. But I, I so we, we, we had that these two chapters that we read, we had um, a lot of important stuff for elves. And I want to know what people's favorite parts of it were. And mine, honestly, is like all of this kind of repetitive talk of light mm-hmm. um, and illumination. Honestly, I, I, I like that imagery. I really love the kind of segregation of the elves that's happening. Uh, I mean, myself being an architecture historian, uh, I, I really strongly believe in kind of regional identity. And to, to a certain extent, that really kind of taps into me. Um, and it's a brief notice here that the, the Quindy, those who went to Valinor, collectively referred to as the Quinya, and those who stayed, uh, the Centaur. So this is where the break in Elvish language comes between Quinya and Centaurin. I really like the battle sequence, just how it was described, how the elves were feeling its presence and seeing the battle happen off in the distance. It seemed so apocalyptic. I really... Because it, it actually kind of put in perspective for me. So I was imagining like, this battle taking place like on Middle-earth and on the... Gr- and then I was like thinking, wait, no! These <laughs> things are crazy! So it's like up in the sky somewhere. Or it's, it's, and it's, or it's just... It became like this like... I, okay. The, the way you describe it reminds me of of one of the shots in Godzilla, where all the all the army men are like running away, and then mm-hmm, yeah. Ford is like, "Oh wait, I need to do something." And he's like by himself, and then there's just not like an explosion in the distance, and he sees it. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking of. Or, or I could just see why, like, so so Melkor are uh, he is collectively the two. Uh, what are they called? On a, mm. Mutos. Mutos, yeah. Uh, and, and Godzilla is Tulkas. Yeah. <laughs> Laughing and nuclear breath and everything. So, yeah, I could, I could see something like that. I mean... Well, actually, that's a really good metaphor, honestly, because if you've seen the movie, you know that they don't think Godzilla is helping them. Yeah. And the elves don't know that Tulkas is helping them. Right. I I, I just really dug that part. I just like the idea of these these like godlike things doing battle in the sky and they're having to like sit back and watch it happen and go, Well, hopefully everything will work out or whatever. Thank <laughs> God Peter Jackson's not of the right to the Silmarillion. <laughs> However, I could to- I could totally see where that would be a cool movie. Yeah, but that uh, but scene would be forty five minutes long. It would be. Yeah. That's and, another thing is like and, yeah. And, and puke inducing HFR three D. So instead we should just take it uh, how it's given to us with the word and... and what's in my brain. And what's in your brain, which again is like, I, I honestly, I kind of like that better anyway, because like the elves aren't supposed to really know what happened. They they only perceive, you know, that 
that it was great and terrible and the earth shook and, and the sky looked like it exploded. <laughs> I know I know I'm tangential here, but when you said the power of the word, I got that Sammy Davis Jr. song from Sweet Charity stuck in my head. And the power of the word is a powerful beat. That's such a great song and that's the best thing about that movie. <laughs> no, the best thing about that movie is the Rich Man's Prug. No, yeah, yeah, that is the best thing in that movie. The musical sequences are the only thing that's really good yeah. in that movie. Everything else is pretty garbage. Anyway, we're probably done with this. <laughs> YouTube Sweet Charity. I feel like if you made a movie out of this stuff, it'd be like an experimental movie. But anyway, that's secondary. Actually, it would be a Ken Burns movie. Well, th- th- I would actually love okay, to see that. Either Ken Burns or like Werner Herzog. Oh wait, my God. Wait, no, I take that back. I meant to say, I meant to say like David Lynch. We're getting weird now. Jodorowsky's Silmarillion. Oh, man. It would, it would it would bankrupt the country to try and make that. So what we're going to read next week? Chapter uh, five and chapter six. six. Yeah. Five and six. Yep. <laughs> Whatever those are about. Which I imagine, I based upon how things are moving, they're going to be about humans, right? We'll see. Who now? All right, all right. I'm just guessing. <laughs> I mean, I will say the the narrative structure is kind of hard to grasp at first because it it's like, oh, here half of this chapter is the grand scope. And half of this chapter is like a, a tiny little thing that happened within it. The next chapter is a single story about two people. It's like a Quentin Tarantino movie. <laughs> well, I assumed that the next, like, after we read chapter two, I assumed the next chapter was about elves. I just knew that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. I didn't guess that the fourth chapter would be the way it did. Man, man is coming, but honestly, elves are more important. Yeah. Right and, now. And like. not for a while, too. Because man, like, as a species, not only does the individual man have to learn, but the species has to learn. So, whereas the elves kind of have this ingrained culture, man does not. Yeah. All right, then. Remember, the elves just awoke and were... Hey, where the hell, Where does okay. hobbits come from? You'll find out. You'll find oh, out. Okay. So anyway, <laughs> uh, to this end, something that has always bothered me about this is that you know, he, he wrote it as a prehistory of man. And it bothers me that, you know, we cover like, what, 6,000 years in his works, and there's basically no technological advancement at all. Like, in the past 6,000 years, man has gone from rudimentary agriculture to landing on the moon to putting a tiny computer in your pocket. And that always bothered me. But then my friend Davis kind of uh, apologized it by saying, well, it's because of the elves. The elves are perfect, and they're kind of in this stasis. They don't need to develop anything because they're intended to be as they are. So it's kind of the the, the, yep. the existence of the elves that kind of retards the technical development. Also, a lot of technology is really bad. Yeah, really you'll see bad. a lot of anti-industrial yep. uh, <laughs> things coming up. There's a reason for that. But that's something that will come up much later. And for now, we're talking about how important light is and water mm-hmm. and really fire. pretty things oh. and land. And yes, fire, because Melkor... You're just a baddie. Or death. Death makes... Well, hold on. Let me see. I have to go light, fire, death. Wait. I don't need to get my Dark Souls <laughs> lo- lore mixed up with my Lord of the Rings lore. What am I doing? No. Oh, no. Well, That's going to get even confusing. I, I think we probably wrapped it up. So I'm John. I'm Katie. I'm Chase. I'm less confused now. See you next week. You have been listening to Talking Tolkien. You can find more podcasts at thewarpzonenetwork.com or search for us on iTunes and Stitcher. You can also check out our Patreon account, which is also Warp Zone Network. Uh, on there, you can hopefully give us some money 
so we can keep the doors open and keep doing what we're doing. Next week, we're going to be reading chapters 5 and 6 and discussing the kind of continuing genealogy of the elves and, uh, I believe, the resurrection of Melkor. Well, not really resurrection. That's a pro- improper word. I meant to say the freeing of Melkor. So, and remember, in the meantime, toast to the professor. <laughs>